Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Epic Loot Radio podcast. This is as, uh, Brian as your host, and this is a special episode. We have Rory back on the show. Uh, being a member as we were doing this show originally back in the day as kind of a four-man or three-man roundtable, it has now evolved to a one-on-one, and this happens to be episode 50, a very special Damn. milestone. So I'm really glad that we were able to get you back on. And uh, well, Thank you for having me. Before we jump in, uh, like I, I see a great co- uh, comment, a uh, great question from chat that I think would be a really good uh, kind of opening starting point for the show itself. But for those who are watching, listening, uh, wherever podcasts are found, blah, 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 Tell people about yourself, your content, Monster Hunter or, or Final Fantasy and MMOs. Like you're a passionate gamer, been doing this stuff full time. Introduce yourself for those who don't know you and then we're going to jump in. So I am Murakan. I make videos about Monster Hunter and Dark Souls on like my main channel. That's my main content. And then I also have uh, a lot of passion for the MMO genre, which is why I made a second channel where I'm now putting most of my MMO content there because I played World of Warcraft for a significant amount of years, Ultima Online, some old school MMOs, and then some more modern stuff as well. So, you know, I kind of run the gamut with a lot of video games. If it's fun and I find it entertaining, I tend to play it and talk about it. Absolutely. Dude, and your content and your energy is phenomenal. Uh, I still like my one of the best moments I think best reaction moment uh, that I've seen of you, and there's there's plenty, but the thing that has resonated with me was your paladin and Walker, uh, you know, reaction when you see those swords just popping <laughs> off, and just did a boom, 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 and you're just like, yes. Uh, so are that's you? What, uh, that's what my me and my static we call the blade works. It's like fireworks, but with blades. <laughs> blade works <laughs> absolutely are you still a paladin main or have you uh changed up any I've of your been, 14 approach it's been it's been hard man because like paladin has not necessarily gotten even though we got the blade works we haven't gotten as much love in terms of performance when compared to other classes it is a lot easier to just play warrior just get on a warrior it's like ah fell cleave go brrr, and it's just like all the damage all the healing all the everything it's much harder to work with watching so, warriors solo like dungeon bosses was just like yeah, yeah this is this job is a healer now i could do that with a paladin as well it's just not as easy but, it's not as easy it's it's doable but it's definitely a little bit slower so it's yeah like, the, the previous Savage tier, I started as a Paladin and then halfway through I changed to Warrior to make it easy on, on the whole group because uh, mm-hmm. landing wings in Savage content on a controller is a pain because <laughs> especially like if your controller has just a little bit of snapback, yeah. there were so many times where I'd move forward, let go of the stick, my character would 180 and fire off the wings in the wrong direction and everybody would make fun of me. Yeah. I was like, well, fine, now I have to shake it off and I don't have to worry about that anymore. But this year I'm trying out the Paladin again and I've been doing some experiments with it with different rotations and whatnot. It's been a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah I always would consider myself a Paladin main on 14. All right. So guys, uh, these are filmed live, but you can always subscribe to the MP3 uh, for free wherever podcasts are found. Also a great way of supporting the show is hitting that like button and then join us when we're live uh, to ask real questions. Like the first one we're going to jump into of Casual Nerd, Jason says, good morning. What do we need, obviously, is a Monster Hunter MMO. Imagine the world bosses. Do we need a Monster Hunter MMORPG? What saith you, <laughs> my good There's sir. a lot of people who will agree with that. I personally don't. And there's already been, I think, two Monster Hunter MMOs. There was Monster Hunter Frontier, which lasted for a whole bunch of seasons, like a lot of years. I think it was almost like a decade or something. I don't know. I never played it. And there was Monster Hunter Online, which was only in the Chinese market and like some other Asian markets. So there's already been two Monster Hunter MMOs. 
and I don't know what the level of success were. I know that a lot of people were really into Frontier for sure. I don't know about Monster Hunter Online. But the reason I don't think there should be one is because what I appreciate in Monster Hunter is the level of innovation that they introduced to the game in between uh, every iteration of the game. So, for instance, you go from three ultimate to four ultimate, and they add the ability for you to mount monsters, which basically means you get on the monster, start stabbing it and doing crazy things, right? In World, they improved on that functionality. In Rise, they took it too far where you actually get to ride them around like they're they're an actual mount and you use them to beat on other monsters. I think that was maybe a little bit too far. But the interesting thing is, due to the fact that they're always making new games, they always innovate on some aspect, which if you look at MMOs, they don't get to innovate nearly as much as what they've innovated with Monster Hunter over the years because they're just like, okay, the old game is done. Now we make a new game. Right. One of the big problems of 14, for instance, is the fact that they're always complaining about, oh, spaghetti code. Right. Yeah, There's yeah. all these problems with the thing that we've built. And because of that, we can't innovate on some things without that limitation. I feel like the game just feels way better every other year. Mm -hmm. And as a content creator, it's a lot harder to cover games like that because like the game ends, people stop watching the content. They move on and then try to get them back when the next game rolls around is a pain in the ass. But as a gamer, it feels better to see that innovation and enjoy it that way. But that's my opinion. Now, there's a lot of people that disagree with me. Yeah, the best, uh, so far the most time that I spent and what would make me kind of lean into uh, the interest in a Monster Hunter MMO was Monster Hunter World, uh, minus yeah. the difficulty of grouping together for a party. That's like, it's so interesting. I think it's a cultural thing though, because Final Fantasy 15 had a multiplayer component that after playing World and then playing 15, I was like, oh my gosh, that's it was almost the same that's thing, almost yeah. the same thing and it i found it to be incredibly annoying and inconvenient but then that's where i go oh it's this has to be a cultural thing that if this is how japanese culture decide thinks that this is how groups should be formed then like clearly you know like i would love for them to kind of like get in on to the drop in drop out multiplayer or a persistent online world itself so go ahead let me let me just give you like a little bit of background as to why Monster Hunter multiplayer works the way that it does. So the when Monster Hunter really took off was when they made, at least in my opinion, some people might have different opinions on that, but like I think most people agree that when Monster Hunter really took off was when they made Freedom Unite for the PlayStation Portable. And the reasoning why it took off is because, like, say I would go over if if I was to live near you, I'd go over to your house with my PlayStation. You'd have your PlayStation, and boom, instant multiplayer. The two of us are playing now. In the West, this is not something nearly as popular, but say you're in Japan, which is where the, the game is developed, right? And people were playing Monster Hunter on their commutes to work and the trains and all of this. And they're basically doing ad hoc on their 3DSs or their PSPs or whatever. And, a, you know, on a train ride, someone would get in like two or three hunts with complete strangers. Like they would straight up set up a lobby in a train with complete strangers. People would join your quest. You might not even realize who was the person that was playing with you, right? But that was the phenomenon, and that is why it is kind of like more intended as almost a local multiplayer thing where you get together with a couple of friends, and you go hunting, and then you leave. And that's why it's not really as built for random interaction with random people on the internet. It's more so built for a group of friends. Yeah, I, and I, I can totally see that. I think, though, what I would be drawn into would be that that persistence and investment that would be, you know, that game's a service. And that's just where it's for me, I always find it funny, funny when people complain about that business model. And I'm like, I'm specifically looking for that as 
what that's what I'm excited about and what drives me into it. And, uh, and so it's like, I enjoyed my time with uh, monster Hunter world, but I never really could get into rise. I downloaded it on, on uh, the switch, played it for a little bit. And then it just sat there and, you know, most like my switch games tend to anyway. And now that it's on PC, it's like, you know, I, have you seen any kind of bump because there is no cross play cross save between PC and no. and switch. So you're, you know, essentially starting I mean, over. Was that was that a good thing? There's definitely, there's definitely a bump because there's a lot of people that like came from World and they don't have a Switch because either they don't care for the console or whatever. Mm -hmm. They just mostly like playing either on PC or like on a on a regular home console, right? And those people fundamentally did not have access to the game until Rise eventually came out on PC. There was a bump there, but it was nothing like mass as massive as World was. World was and still is like the most successful Capcom game ever. The most successful individual Capcom game ever. Was uh, was releasing Rise on uh, Switch like a year prior to PC a, a good thing or a bad thing overall? Uh, to me, it's a, I, I always look at it as a bad thing, personally. I, I don't know if it was good for them financially. Maybe Nintendo gave them money or something like that. I don't know what the deals were there. But like, I always see it as a bad thing because, you know, I've, we've talked about this previously. I, I would like every game on every single platform that's just the way that i prefer i know there's always these console wars people are like oh no we have god of war on sony and we have like halo and gears on xbox and i'm like wouldn't it be cooler if like i was on my playstation playing with brian on his pc yeah. and playing with somebody else on their xbox and we're all yeah. playing together and there's like maybe two or three games that do that which uh, what was that game? Outriders did that, if I remember correctly. Even Stadia and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's they've struggled a little bit with that, namely yeah. right out of the gate. But um, I haven't actually get, had a chance to go back and and, and sit down and play the new expansion. But it's it, that's something that I think is important because the easier that you make that, I think that makes it a requirement, you know, for other games. So if somebody said, "Hey, Brian, um, you know, we're all playing Final Fantasy or Destiny," and it's like, "Hey," I need uh I need you to go buy a PlayStation so we can play this new multiplayer game, and yeah, I'm like it, it's like that's just not that's just not how the world is gonna work anymore. Like it's like okay if I could find one okay cool or you know like it's weird because it's like imagine making a friend and then realizing oh wait you like Xbox oh I like PlayStation and then we you're have, like we have a problem we have a problem <laughs> you know I thought this was gonna be a good friendship but now I'm not so sure. See the the one of the one of the things that actually got a good friend of mine into fourteen, maybe even a little bit too into fourteen. It was his first MMO. I kind of ruined his life. Uh, we haven't even done our podcast. It was, it's my other podcast that I used to do with him. We haven't been able to do it because he's been so addicted to fourteen. Like he's already, I think he's level ninety everything already. Like he surpassed me in almost every way. He's already done an ultimate, and I'm like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> he's just like go. And the reason he was able to get into it is because he was able to play on PlayStation. Because he didn't actually have like an easy way to play it on PC and whatnot. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can play in PlayStation. It's cross-play and it's not a problem. And it was like a super easy thing for him to eventually get into it because I was able to help him on the PC. I was also able to play with him on PlayStation when I was home. And it was like, there's no friction. It's just like, yeah, it just works. You can play on PC. You can play on PlayStation 5 or PlayStation 4, whatever. And yeah. right now, he actually plays with his daughter. She plays on PlayStation. He plays on PC. And again, it's just like yeah. something that's super convenient to have that functionality of crossplay. Yeah. So on a question in this regards, what do you see right now as one of the biggest weaknesses within Final Fantasy 14? One of the biggest weaknesses of Final Fantasy 14. 
I don't actually I don't actually know the proper answer to that because everybody has different reasons why they enjoy MMOs. Some people will will say that it's the long story because the long story is going to be the biggest hurdle that a new player needs to overcome in order to get through 14. It's a lot of hours of commitment for someone that might not even end up enjoying the game at the end of the day, which is why it's extremely like I would say that's while that's not its biggest weakness, it's the biggest barrier to entry. The biggest weakness is going to vary from player to player. Like some players will say that, oh, it's the PvP is not quite as robust, even though, again, they're doing strides in that with Crystalline Conflict. That's amazing. I even did two matches earlier today. Um, some people might think that there's not enough content there in the raiding scene, even though they do have robust raids, but it's just, it is kind of like few and far between. I think it's, if I had to point something out, it's the, the, the content evolution from someone doing like a normal raid and jumping into a savage now there's extremes but there i kind of feel like there needs to be a step there and it's not like a different difficulty it's maybe a different kind of content which is one of the reasons why i'm particularly excited about uh savage uh dungeons i was gonna say the acronym yeah. i'm not sure if I'm gonna say the, the criterion right oh it's, it's criterion but i'm talking about the acronym of the the thing because it's another sildi something oh yeah yeah subterrain or whatever yeah <laughs> But yeah, um, so I'm really excited about that content because it, it. I'm hoping it can scratch the itch that I have for Mythic Plus, which is you know the scaling dungeons without the war without being required. Like like that's like yeah. that's the biggest weakness in in the Mythic Plus system is people feel like oh you don't like Mythic dungeons, but it's required if you want to do the thing that you want to do. My hope is is that it's Mythic without it's being. But that's that's the argument that I've heard from WoW players and stuff. I can't speak to it personally because that's just not yeah. I'm not a WoW guy, you know. So when it comes down to it, I was like, okay. But yeah, I'm really excited. So what would be then the as the kids continue to stream? Yeah, I, uh, I can hear them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Julie, I'm going to make a, a podcast. I'm you know nine o'clock. Let's send the kids upstairs right as we start recording. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, on that note, though, what would you say is the greatest strength that Final Fantasy 14 possesses? The greatest strength that it possesses is its ability to capture a player through the story and then keeping them engaged through the content, essentially, which really is something that has gripped me in more ways than I initially predicted, because I thought that, uh, you know, once I was done with the story, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. But the story kind of keeps you coming back. It keeps you attached to the characters. And at the same time, they then add on top of that story with the raid stories, with even the trial stories, like all of that story and the lore keeps players engaged to the point where they always want to keep coming back. So the story is definitely one of its biggest strengths. But on top of it, I definitely feel like as someone that appreciates the more challenging content, another really big strength of it is how they're able to do their raids because they're definitely able to communicate raid mechanics much better than I was used to in World of Warcraft, which makes the raiding scene so strong. In World of Warcraft, every mm -hmm. player, and there's always going to be the odd players like, oh no, I don't need DBM. I can like, I can figure everything out myself. Yeah, sure. You, you, you um, for starters, I believe that a lot of those people are straight up lying. I mean, that's just my opinion <laughs> on it. But beyond that point, like a large majority of players are always going to be using DBM and there's going to be the call outs and all of these things. And you don't need any of that in 14. And that is something that I found extremely refreshing. You just go in like the idea in some raids where with the first time that someone told me, oh, yeah, for this mechanic, you have to look at the boss. I was like, wait, what? 
I have to do what now? Look at the boss? I never had to do that before. <laughs> Why does the game just tell me what to do? I got to look at the boss? Like, I was so surprised. because, And it's something that you don't even think about it because I had been raiding for so many years. And wow, I didn't even think about, oh, yeah, looking at the boss. That kind of makes sense. You know, boss raises his, le- his right hand means something. Raises his left hand means something else. So it's like the rating scene and the story is something that I think is one of its strongest points. So on that note, though, you bring up an interesting kind of thing, how I think 14 really has brought out the uh, the abilities and the mechanics within its design where it doesn't need something like DBM, where World of Warcraft is so heavily reliant on add-ons but add-ons in and of themselves we saw some big kind of kickback and drama within 14's community this spring which i'm actually happy that yoshi p is addressing it so the question to you would be it's like if you were to take two or three key features that you get from add-ons that are not currently in 14 what would they be and and why would you want that I don't use any add-ons in 14, but like I don't either. But like I, I've seen people with them, and I get jealous. Yeah. I got jealous. I was like the the well, pop up. Yeah, go ahead. There's two things that I would bring up, uh, and one of them uh, I've never even used myself. I've seen other people use it, and it's something that I kind of miss from World of Warcraft, which is chat bubbles. I definitely would like to have chat bubbles. I think that is much more immersive because I rarely ever look at the actual chat box that's like on the lower left-hand side of the screen. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people will type a bunch of stuff or send me a DM and like two hours go by and then I'm like, oh crap, somebody sent me a DM like God knows how long and I've never replied. And people might even think, oh, look at him, big streamer being rude. It's like, no, I didn't see it. It's, it's literally on the corner of my screen, this tiny font. It'd be much easier if there was like chat bubbles. But uh, besides chat bubbles, the other one that I want, this one's going to be a little bit controversial for some people. I would like to have, um, what's what do they call it? They don't call it a damage meter. Yeah, I want, I'd like to have a damage meter. Like that, that I actually, uh, we have someone in our group that does use and we make use of the data when we are rating Savage or Extreme or whatever. We make use of it explicitly to try and improve ourselves and sometimes make fun of each other because of banter or whatever but we never use it in a way where we're like disparaging somebody else we're not gonna link like if we're if we happen to be in a raid with someone and we happen to be parsing we're not gonna link the parse that person's like hey man look at your great parse bro you suck go learn your class like we don't do that because that'd be stupid and rude but we do use parsing and i do find that to be important there's a lot of people that go and they say oh man Parsing is toxic. It's just not. No, parsing is a tool. What you do with it is what makes it toxic or not toxic. So you essentially chat bubbles, uh, some UI polish, and uh, and then and then yeah. the most controversial being uh, the uh, the DPS meter. Which, like for me, I would absolutely just prefer no DPS meter. But what I would love to see, if you ever use that DPS meter, like because the thing is, is, you have to break terms to get to actually the meat of what I think would be really interesting is that if you actually take XIV analytics, you take those parses that you upload, it actually breaks down like how many cooldowns did you hit? Like, did you leave any kind of yeah. like, and ultimately what I would prefer instead of like any kind of real time, like DPS number, because I think that just like how I turned off the minimap in 14 and I really appreciate more what the game offers in terms of its immersion without having that as just an added UI element, like within it, like I don't want a DPS meter to draw my attention just to see what kind of like 
did I hit this number? Am I hitting, you know, this or somebody's not doing theirs, but rather than instead, like at the end of the fight, you know, whether you wipe or you whatnot, it's like, Hey, you got, you know, you took this extra damage. You didn't need to take this. And, you know, like a couple of things, like looking at what analytics, the tool does actually to educate you on things that you might do that could actually help you get better. Like, Hey, you actually broke two combos. And so, be, Oh, I, Oh yeah. I, I got excited or nervous and I was worried about that. Or, Hey, did you know that like you had this, sitting on cooldown the whole time and that would have been you know like oh i didn't know that so you you use three out of ten like oh my gosh if i start putting using that more often then you start to see that out of benefit and so it in a way it would be like the 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 best the, the best, the best version of damage, of, of damage without, meter yeah. is that it ends up serving as a personalized education tool as opposed yeah. to like i could care less what your damage is i could care less if i show up and bring my a game that's the best that I, I think that's the best we can do. And then all of a sudden, if it, the game was like, Hey, did you know, did you know? Like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't that think needs about to that. Be, if, if that is a feature, it needs to be turned off by default and it needs to be opt in because I can already hear the crowd. <laughs> if you don't pay my sub going like, what the hell is this? The game is now lecturing me on how bad I am at the game. <laughs> what the hell is going on? I would have it on. Like I would instantly have it on. I was like, okay, how many combos did I break? How many uh, cooldowns did I miss? I want to know all of these things, but a lot of people don't want that, and I understand why. But you mm -hmm. know, if if you're if you're someone who is seeking to do aspirational content like extremes and savages and potentially even ultimates, these are things that you definitely need to be looking at. And right yeah. now, those tools are not right. in the game. Someone can actually make it all the way up to an unlock savage without even being able to, you know, putting out a decent amount of damage because they don't know how their right. abilities interweave properly, right? And so, that's yeah. where I think the friction and any kind of like, you know, in-game drama tends to spill out yeah. onto the social media, uh, you know, world in which that it's like, oh, so-and-so was only doing, you know, like auto attack damage. And it's like the game never actually punished me for not doing auto attack where something like Elden Ring, like you immediately feel like, oh, I did something wrong and the game <laughs> punished me for it. And so it kind of makes you go and learn where that's where one of the like in most interesting terms, like in terms of 14's evolution is that that's where it was when you look at uh stormblood stormblood felt so easy up until the last fight not to name it just for any not to ruin it for anybody but there's a fight you as the right tier no 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 just the actual like trial fight that finishes okay. off the stormblood main story before you kind of oh, okay. right which you know what i'm talking about but like at the time until like gear like it took a couple of weeks for people to kind of get geared up past that and then getting slotted back into it for it to become easier but it was very punishing and there wasn't any lead up to it. It was just like, it felt like in the, in the, at the time, all the reviews, everybody, like everybody's kind of talking about, it. it's like, yeah, the game was like, you're just kind of going along. Everything's going real smooth. And then all of a sudden there was this big jump, Bam. you know, and it was shocking for a lot of people because the entire time they were just kind of going along. And then the game said, that's, Hey, by the way, yeah, you need to know that's how now. I felt. That's kind of how I felt when I tried doing my first unreal trial which was when they first introduced Unreal Trials. Like I'd been doing all of the content till then. I'd never done an extreme, but I, w I had been doing all of the raids. So I'm like, I know how to play the game. So I go in and I queue for an Unreal. I didn't even go to Party Finder because I didn't even know how Party Finder worked. Yeah. I went through the, the actual Duty Finder interface to join like just a random group. And I was like, I'm sure this is going to be fine. <laughs> it's like I hit a wall on Shiva Unreal. It was like, I was like trudging along, bam. <laughs> no more. I was like, whoa, what the hell just happened? And then the frustration, of course, of like, 
you start to figure out the mechanics and then the group falls apart and then you go in <laughs> and you work through the same mechanics that you already learned and the group falls apart again and i was like oh okay so i need i need to get a static is what i'm is what i'm seeing sounds so. like it sounds like that, that ends up being uh that ends up being helpful and it could also at the same time be a little bit, you know, you got to have a static with, I think, a, a good tight group of people that you yeah. just enjoy playing with and either harassing, uh, you know, if uh, if you or they mess up, et cetera, and having that, like, it, yeah, having, it helps out a lot. the banter, the, the banter is important and mm -hmm. it's like, you know, people need to be able to take certain things in stride. It's just yeah. the way that it is. So, uh, question to you. What is an MMORPG to you? So, when you're asking this question, I'm going to assume that you're trying to differentiate between an actual MMORPG and like MMO lights. That's what I'm assuming you are, you are shooting for. So it's like an MMORPG to me is like when you have a consistent world that you can be in with a lot of players, like maybe hundreds of players, mm -hmm. maybe thousands of players, depends on the scope of the MMO itself. And it needs to have RPG elements to it. There needs to be like either a level up. It does not necessarily have to be leveling up your character, but you could be leveling up skills. Like in the case of Ultima Online, you would grab an axe and you'd go chopping trees and your shop, your lumberjack skill would go up, but there was no actual character level. As you gain strength, you would also gain more health. So chopping trees would also net you health and stuff like that. And then there were other things that you would do for dexterity, which I forget what they were, because I used to basically like stick a coin in my keyboard and just leave the character if king to level up stats and whatnot. But uh, <laughs> So it, it needs to have those two components, right? It needs to have cert certain things that you can get better at as you play the game where your character actually improves in a certain way. And it needs to be in a massive world with a lot of players. That's the way that I would define an MMORPG. So for instance, if you were to tell me, so is Destiny MMORPG? No, it's an MMO Lite. That is like where I kind of like make that distinction. And when it comes to MMO Lights, there's like, thousands of them there's tons of them so warframe to me is also an mmo light like mm. there's probably millions of players playing at any given time but you know most of the time they're segmented off into different instances and whatnot so that's kind of like where i make the difference between a standard mmorpg and an mmo light in a certain way monster hunter is almost like an mmo light the main difference is that there's no actual social hub where you can see hundreds of other players so on that note, when you when you define it that way, what is your outlook on the current set of MMORPGs that are on the horizon within the next, at least that we know about within the next like three to five years uh, from release? Like, is there any one that stands out as something that you're particularly excited about, hopeful for? Do you worry of the genre overall or are you generally just optimistic about the uh, state of the game, so to speak? I mean... My biggest concern when it comes to MMORPGs right now is the business model because I kind of feel like a lot of MMORPGs that come out, they have to make concessions on the business model because as you are aware, I think that only two MMOs really uh, you know, charge a monthly fee as a basis, which is World mm -hmm. of Warcraft and Final Fantasy XIV. And anyone that tries to come into that market with uh, a mandatory subscription fee is going to struggle hard because you're basically asking people, okay, you have to choose between this MMO or that because most people are not going to be able for, Oh, I'll just uh, subscribe to five different MMOs. That that's not going to happen. Like it's right. already, you already have a subscription to Netflix, maybe even game pass. Then on top of it, you have a subscription to 14 or wow or both. And then here comes another newcomer, an unproven game, let's say, and asks for another 15 bones a month of your money. 
But having said that, that is my preferred business model to begin with, which makes the business model my main concern about it. Now, when it comes to uh, the future of MMOs, the stuff that I'm looking towards the most, like at short term, I'm curious to see what Dragonflight is like. Mm -hmm. I will be playing Dragonflight, mostly because I want to cover it from a content standpoint, because if I was a consumer, I would not play Dragonflight because I've been burned too hard by Blizzard. So I'm mostly doing it from a content creation standpoint. Final Fantasy XIV, obviously I'm going to play whatever next expansions they do for however many years because it's mm -hmm. been excellent. And I've not been disappointed yet by almost anything in that game. And um, Guild Wars 2 is one that I really want to play. I haven't gotten the time because there's just so many things happening at any given time. And Ashes of Creation is one that I'm very curious about. Those are just the ones that instantly jump to mind. But apart from that, I can't really think of a whole lot else. Yeah. Ashes is... Is curious, right? It's the, it's the one I'm rooting for because, like, on paper... Everybody is. On paper, and, like, they're saying the right words, and then all of a sudden, like, I listen beyond the, the fan and the gamer and I see just red flags, like nothing but red flags. And it becomes a difficult conversation to have with people online because some people already have a belief just like they had a belief in cyberpunk. That it's and, gonna save, yeah. Well, and it's that, you know, like, you know, I didn't get into content creation just to sit here and, you know, piss on people's day, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, your dreams here. But it's like, then the same time, the software engineer and me, like, when uh, the latest round of updates from uh, uh, from the team talk about them hiring more more people, which is okay, that's a that's a good thing. It's an admirable thing, um, but not understanding uh, their plans that could either be a very bad thing or very good thing. And ultimately, typically, when you hire somebody, it, they're they're not instantly like adding value to the team. They're actually slowing no. the team down. And so, not all those roles are development roles. You know, they've they've got needs and you know, things like that. They're looking for like a, you know, assistant, you know, and things like, you know, so there's, there's things that add value to it, but adding just programmers to a late project, what? which the game is late is only going to make the game even more late. And then they go and reveal that the map size is now three times as yeah. large as it used to be for like, you know, their, their, their present, their presentation all sounds valid. But then again, like when I strip out the, the hype and the excitement and what their model is, it's like, I hope to goodness that I'm not sitting here like the only one saying like, guys, like I, 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 I would label this as a possible scam or a possible failure until, until we start actually getting not alphas, not alphas, but like once we get into the beta phase, that's, that's where like, that's where I'd be like, okay, this is either, this is either going to be really good or really bad, but an MMO isn't defined by its launch either. I think ashes is going to have a strong, strong showing because the hype behind it will be undeniable. Like there's no way that everybody isn't going to be like, well, I, I at least got to check this out. Right. Because if it's successful, it would technically, I guess, be the only really kickstarted major success at, at this level. Um, but everything I've heard from the kickstarted era is like, all of that has either been scams oh, or they've all fallen apart. My biggest concern when it comes to ashes of creation is almost like in a way the the stuff that we're hearing from a lot of them and it's like i don't follow every mm -hmm. little thing because i also have to cover other games right yeah, yeah yeah but um 
one of the concerns that I begin to have is like, is this Star Citizen 2.0 where it's just, uh, oh, we're going to add more things and more things and more things. Eventually, they're going to start selling you like mounts or something instead of spaceships. And it's like, I don't think that's going to be the case because they've, they've, you know, at least their design philosophy up until this point has not been like that. But it definitely makes you wonder like, okay, so how long is long enough? Like how many times are you going to be iterating and improving and doing? And Because I'm all for give me the game when it's finished. But the problem with a lot of these more community crowdfunded projects is mm -hmm. that it's very easy for the developers to fall into the trap of, hey, we can we can keep getting money. Look at this. Look at how many more people just like, because that's that I feel is what Star Citizen is. I, I, I always tell this to people, I don't think Star Citizen's ever going to release because why sh why would they? They're making so much money right now. Releasing is just going to slow that down. <laughs> Maybe. Well, and, and same thing, like, even though, like, you, even with Cyberpunk, Mystera pointed that out with Cyberpunk. It's like, yeah, they've, they've made improvements. And that's exciting. And they actually just announced an expansion. And it's like, as long yeah. as the team that's behind it is passionate and they keep putting it out, I don't have any, any concerns for Ashes of that. Like, if Ashes shows up and they go to work and, and hey, turns out maybe we, had, we got some things wrong or we need to make some adjustments here or there great keep doing that and then they hey guess what they keep putting out content that that's the dream right it's not about the promises all at launch it's also like do they keep showing up and delivering like yeah what happens six months in a year in now do they you know if they keep releasing content updates and then maybe like expansions etc ashes will do fine because guess what it will find its its base that really enjoys that and they'll support the ever-living crap out of it you know same thing i know star citizens and gets brought up and it's like I, I want them to, I want, I want really good games for people to choose. And I do think you're right. You hit the nail on the, in the head. I think the business model in and of itself is one of the reasons why we haven't seen that much innovation because the risk is too high and players don't have the patience to necessarily support you developing the game. And we've seen that time and time again. And so we've seen all these games come out with the subscription model and then change and then essentially just kind of live in this limbo. And I'm hoping that we'll see some updated business model overall, because I don't, I don't think the subscription is strong enough. And then the player base is strong enough to really support, you know, brand new MMOs. And if brand new MMOs aren't coming out to, to invite people into the genre itself, then I see as a genre that it just eventually ages itself out. Um, you know, I know that we do get younger guys. I've seen, you know, uh, you know, like within the range of like 24 and more starting to jump into MMOs because then all of a sudden they start having kind of money to kind of, you know, fund the, having a device that does it or a computer that does it. But I'm hoping that we'll see that, you know, it doesn't become a barrier for entry. You know, why would I, why would I spend money each month on your game when I could go spend a thousand dollars a month optionally on, on this free game, you know? And that's what I end up seeing. I see these kids spending crazy amounts yeah, of money. That's, that's the, that's the weird thing, how people will be like, well, yeah, I don't want to pay this monthly subscription, but then they'll go and they'll just like spend thousands of dollars on like Diablo Immortal, which is an insanely predatory game that I've spoken at <laughs> length about. Yes. I think it is completely ridiculous. I've railed on that game nonstop and will continue to do so. And it's making bank. It is. It's like a hundred over a hundred million bones at this point. It is completely ridiculous. Yeah. But one, one question that I wanted to ask you is yeah. you were talking about the alphas and the betas and all of this. Mm -hmm. And one another one of my concerns when it comes to the MMO genre, more so than most other games, 
is just the the amount of testing that gets done and how developers do the testing. So to give an idea, I don't know if you've been following Dragonflight. I imagine not because you've had a pretty bad experience in BFA. So <laughs> I have not. Like Dragonflight, yeah. is, there's an interesting thing, and then I want I want you to ask this question. So make sure you store it because like there's it's for me. I see kind of two pathways with Dragonflight. Either it delivers on what hungry wow players have wanted for a long time and we're not talking expansion over expansion and i think it has to deliver what they've wanted for a long time and then follow it up with another expansion that yeah. builds off of that meaning player investment none of this borrow power bs you know, like all of these little things right if they do that will we see like a 14 refugee mindset where it's like oh man you know you know because you see people like i'm never going back to wow i'm all in on 14 and then it's like you know you're going to go play Dragonflight yeah. because it's the hype will be there. You're going to want to check it out. Will it will it hold on to you? I don't think it. I don't think it can, unless they really fundamentally shift their mindset and model. But I I would love to be wrong. Just from a case study alone, like the data science and scientist to me would love to see Dragonflight just dominate. See, just to see, see like anomalies, yeah. Just to see like, okay, all right. Now that now we know more about what? ourselves. The other option though is that it does exactly what it's been doing, comes out, oh my gosh, wow, so great. I've heard that every expansion that later yeah. becomes, oh, this is such garbage, and this is why. And that, you know, that's how content creators get to eat and, and, and go and survive another year is when a game is bad, you know? So it's like, you, you, you kind of like, you know, like Bellular's going to do really good. Like he's going to do really good either way. But, you know... As Asmund Goldore said, oh, man, if Blizzard lied to us, dude, imagine the amount of content I'm going to get out of that. Yeah. Can, 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 can I get you know, banned from WoW? I won't get near a million plus views, but yeah, like just go ahead. Do it, man. But like um, the, the question that I wanted to ask, so you haven't really been following the, the Dragonflight alphas and betas, but basically what's been happening, and this is something that is a major turnoff for someone like me. Okay. Is like in their traditional testing phase, what Blizzard will do is they'll just, they'll just like put the whole quest lines up. They just won't have cutscenes, but you'll be able to basically see the whole story mm -hmm. before the game comes out. You see the whole story, but not just that. You know, the players that are interested in things like, oh, I want to min-max my crafting. They'll know where all the nodes are. Yeah, they'll know what like is the fastest. Like the guides are going to be on Wowhead before the game even comes out like what's right. the most efficient way of leveling up blacksmithing what's the mo what's the best spec to play as a protection warrior what's the best spec to play as some other class right and i kind of find that that takes a lot of the magic away of an mmo launch and yeah. i think that that is a fundamental problem that we have in this genre in particular like i don't know if you remember josh strife Hayes made that video where he said new world is basically a figured out game which it was when it came out, everybody knew exactly what new world was because they were allowed to level up in the betas to the maximum level. And there might've been like maybe an expedition or two missing. I don't know, but like everybody already knew what was in the game, how to, you know, what was the most efficient ways of doing it. Most of the guide content is done while the games are in an alpha state. And I think that that is fundamentally bad for the health of the game because the player base is not going in on even footing. Like someone who does not right. consume media goes into the MMO and people are literally running laps around them 
right. there's nothing they can do about it unless they're all of a sudden, okay, now I need to become an expert. I need to go consume a thousand hours of content on YouTube and Wowhead and all of these websites. And I think that that is a huge problem. And that is something where these companies need to be testing their MMOs more so internally. And when they are doing these stress tests here, the same way that, um, uh, creative business unit three does um the media tour right mm -hmm. yeah what do you guys get you guys get like two zones a training dummy and a dungeon and that's it that is what you get go do your testing report on your classes do whatever and they can do all of their testing like this like this in these mmos the reason they don't is because they want to find out oh is there a quest chain that's because like that's not the player's job i mean let me tell you what ptr actually stands for not paid qa yeah, exactly. Would you relate any of what you just kind of like asked in terms of uh, also somebody who's a full-time streamer and, and how they present their content because they can consume and play and digest and then, you know, basically do that guy. Like, even if you take out the PTR, uh, you still would say, I would still say the, the full, somebody who's a full-time content creator streamer has an advantage over somebody who clearly is like, oh, I'm going to come in on the weekend where then the expectation is, is that, hey, look up the guide. I mean, do you understand what I'm asking? Like, yes, you're, you're I, a player I, I, and it's like, hey, it's the weekend. I'm ready to play. Because I think there is a like there is this weird problem in there. And then it becomes that the expectation is, is like, the information's out there, dude. Don't waste my time. So from a yeah. gamer to gamer perspective that, uh, yes, I think I the PTRs, but also the content creation side of it is, is, this, is a, a really interesting point. I think that that is another problem and that I feel is a problem more so of the community of MMOs than necessary. The community as a whole, not just the content creators, like for starters, there's obviously an incentive on YouTube and on Twitch and whatever to always be the first and to get there ahead of everybody else and to instantly make a guide. So this a lot of times even leads to situations where the, the first guides that come out are potentially not the best ones because, you know, they're going to be relevant for a short period of time. And that short period of time is getting shorter and shorter because we basically live in something that I refer to as the culture of the now. We need to know what is happening now at any given moment. And I need to know all of the information right now because I don't want to waste my time, right? Yeah, everybody looks at it. I don't want to waste my, it's like, what exactly do you define by wasting your time? Jumping into a raid and figuring out mechanics? Is, is that a waste of time? Because in my static, for instance, we only did the raid, the, the P5S, the first time on Sunday mm -hmm. because one of our one of our static members was not available for our other two raid days. So we like, we just delayed it. It's like, whatever. So the idea is we don't look at the strats and we go in there blind and we try to figure it out by ourselves because that is the most fun way to do things, or at least that is the way that we think. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to like purport my own uh, opinion as a fact. That is the way that I find to be the most fun, going in there and trying to figure stuff out. Now, unfortunately, a large majority of the player base, particularly when it comes to MMOs, day one, they will have like listings in Party Finder. And this happens in Party Finder in 14, just like it happens in uh, Group Finder in World of Warcraft. And it'll be like, know what you're doing. Yeah. Like literally 30 minutes after the patch launch, know what you're doing. What do you mean? Know what I'm doing? <laughs> the patch came out 30 minutes ago. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Yeah. And there are very, very few groups. There are some, but there are very, very few groups that will be like, hey, we're going in blind, chill mode, come hang out. Let's try to figure this out. Right. And a lot of people, they're just like, oh, I don't I don't have the time. I got to go do this. Got to go do that. And they 
see more value in getting to the part where they loot the chest at the end of the raid mm -hmm. than the actual journey to looting the chest. And I find that that is like, I don't understand how we got to that point because to me, the chest is worthless. It doesn't mean anything. The only thing the chest actually enables is me to be powerful enough to take on the next challenge that comes. That is the only value that that gear has, which is also like, I play a tank. I'm always going to be the last one to get geared. The DPS should always get geared first because that way we can clear things faster. Mm -hmm. But it, it just doesn't make sense to me how a majority of the community is just obsessed with loot. And a lot of the times, they will go through the trouble of like, for instance, doing a savage tier in 14 or something. And they're like, oh, thank God that's done. I got all my gear. I don't want, I don't want to do that again. It's like, well, what was the point of doing it then? You have all this gear. It's worthless. You're going to take this gear into normal raids? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, that, that, like, listen, I am doing normal raids as a Dark Knight. I don't know how Dark Knight works. I'm just doing it to get like the achievement of 300 whatever dungeons to get the mount. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't even know how it works. And I can clear it just fine. This is like it's not even a, a remotely a problem because the normal, more casual content does not need this super high end hardcore gear. And so people go through the trouble of doing it and then they get the answer. Oh, thank God that's over. Never want to do that again. It's like, well, what was the point then? You were torturing yourself to acquire yeah. this gear that is now useless to you. I don't understand. Yeah, that's where I see a lot of people get really frustrated and burnt out like really easily on that because it's, yeah. it's because as soon as you see the, the hamster wheel you're on, the thing is that I would say that 14 as a strength says it's an optional hamster wheel versus yeah. like, okay, like I'm on it. And that's where you tend to see veterans like myself go, all right, I'll wait. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I don't need to go and throw myself into that right now. Um, next or, but new players like, Oh, I'm in. And then all of a sudden the next expansion, they're like, uh, wait a minute. This feels very much like we just did this. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you just did. And all of us veterans are kind of like over there by the water cooler, kind of like chuckling, like, <laughs> All right, just wait to point These four. <laughs> it's like, well, this is how it works, man. Uh, but it is the thing. is like if people are so obsessed about, and, and I get that for some people it's going to be the glamour. That I kind of understand because you can, usually you can die the savage gear, whereas you can't die the normal raid gear. So mm -hmm. there I can kind of like see where the problem is. But like beyond that, basically if all you want is power you wait one patch you buy the crafted gear it's now more powerful than the savage gear that came before it like just look at the patch that we have the raid gear of the previous patch was item level 600 for every single piece except the weapon which is 605 and the crafted gear this patch was 610 mm -hmm. so it's like it's instantly invalidated yeah no thanks for your hard work but as long as you know that it's yeah, like exactly. that's why I'm like I'm not gonna like same thing with Destiny like uh, we you brought it up earlier it said I know that when Lightfall drops all my power levels all get boosted up so I don't focus in on power level I focus in on kind of chasing different weapons I, I, I focus yeah. more on what horizontal progress will carry forward with me and that's the grind that I that I choose to invest my time in because the hamster wheel grind of the you know like the barred power like that is the gearing Final Fantasy 14's gearing system is a borrowed power system because as soon as you get it it you know the next update could have validated it and just actually like yeah. you know but it's at least it's honest about it like in and i know that that term might people be like oh i hate wow and bar that's wow has borrowed power it's like no 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 that the, the term is maybe more synonymous with what wow has done but it doesn't necessarily mean that every instance of a borrowed power system is cursed to fail um it, it does have its trade-offs though 
There, there's a, like, I don't think those two compare nearly as well right. because there's a certain, and, and this is one of the things that I love about the gear in 14 is there's a deterministic aspect to it where I can go like, no, this week I'm getting this loot piece and you go and you get that loot piece. Mm -hmm. In World of Warcraft, it's more like, hey, 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 let me spin the slot machine. Yeah. <laughs> See if oh, I, yeah. RNG. And I can get something I think, great yeah. or I can get nothing. <laughs> I, think, I think RNG is a perfectly fine way to have a progression system as long as there's a static, measurable yeah. return. Meaning, like, I always kind of say XP is, like, the most beautiful system, and I wish more systems would use it at their end game because it's perfect for leveling. Yeah. It's a guaranteed, this is what you get, uh, it doesn't have to be the efficiency, but it's like, I'm perfectly fine. Like if there's an, like new world has got this right now. Like there's a static way of focusing power progression wherever you want. And it's very, it's, it's a nice, simple, easy to understand system, especially after you do it a couple, you know, a couple times you're like, oh, okay, I get what this is, but there's still also the RNG side of it. So when we go run dungeons, I'm getting my static progression and there is also a chance that I get RNG progression and it both ways every time feels good because I go in with, I know I'm going to have this at the end of it, but then there's always that chance that I end up getting a little bit more than that. And the, and the ends up being a kind of a differential. Sometimes it was like one time it was like a plus three and one time it was a plus 10. Both times felt great. I didn't yeah. feel, uh, I did not feel punished because I got a plus three one time I felt that was awesome. And then because I still also got what my guarantee was, I went to work, I got paid and then RNG is a like bonus that can happen sometimes that just kind of, you know, it's not a, a promise, but it is like there. And that's just something that I kind of feel pretty good about. I do want to like Fernando asked this question a little while ago and uh, I pinned it. And I just, cause I wanted to actually talk to you about it specifically because uh, they ask uh, ashes of creation versus blue protocol. Now we talked about ashes. You're not directly following it as like closely as I am. I feel like I'm just yeah. so negative. Like, I feel like I come across so negative on ashes just because I want to, I, I honestly, I'm like, I would rather be negative and wrong and just be, and it just deliver than be excited and right. But have you been following Blue Protocol at all? Before, before I answer your question, you brought up the, um, the expression that you made of like, you go to work, you get your reward. I just yeah. think that's hilarious to me. Like the concept, of, oh, I'm going to go to work. And it's like, it should be a fun activity. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm working towards this thing. Yeah. And I always find that a little bit like you shouldn't be, you should be doing something. And then sure, you get a reward at the end of it, but it, the whole thing should not be considered work is kind of like, anyway, besides the point. So uh, Ashes of Creation versus Blue Protocol. So personally, I lean more towards Ashes of Creation. Mm -hmm. because i kind of miss the more traditional mmorpg blue protocol is going to be more action uh based even though ashes of creation is also going to have an action system but uh from what i've seen of blue protocol so far like i feel like they might be going through a little bit of a development hell because they, mm -hmm. they've been extremely silent recently am i correct oh dude I know like not just like it. like absolutely silent and it's like yeah they uh the the last round of news we officially got was from uh winter 2021 in which Jesus. it talked about uh chinese and korean publishing deals have been signed Oh, no. I, I don't necessarily i think i think when you look at like the the pandemic and then i think they've also bandai's been restructuring and then when you look at the the thing it's like everything every sign points to all right okay we're gonna you know like we're gonna figure out remote work we're gonna really you know funnel in on the team because it's not about just launching the game it's also like how do you support the game after but they've had closed they've been in beta like they were doing closed beta tests 
And uh, all signs, all had little hints and stuff are pointing to some really positive, exciting things to come. But it is absolutely quiet. And I hope that by the time we hear from them next, they're really ready for that full on marketing beta launch, as opposed to like another year of just like, Hey, we're adding this or we're doing that, et cetera. But the biggest it's problem beautiful. is it's so beautiful. When you, when you start telling me about like Korean and Chinese publishing and all of this stuff, my mind instantly goes pay to win lost Ark. Cause like lost Ark is a beautiful yeah. game. Lots of people love lost Ark. I can't stand playing it because I already know that you could you can basically pay to win in that game. And yeah. a lot of people are like, hey, it's pay to something. It's like oh, people will justify okay, the, pay, the pay to win. Definition, yeah. However you want, it's pay to win. <laughs> okay, right. yeah, it's yeah. That simple. Well, and it's like and, and the thing is, is that if it's my pay to kind of pay to win, then I'm perfectly fine with it versus like, oh, yeah, it, it ends up being like if you know the relationship, as my wife would say, like DTR define the relationship. If you go into a game knowing like, hey, it's going to ask you for money at these points. Uh, then when it does ask you for that money, it's less of a burden, you know, then you're like, all right, I knew that that was going to be the case. I can now decide because it is a, I'm an adult and it is my money, whether I want to use it or not. What happens is that these games are sneaky and then it's like, okay, so yeah, this is good. This is good. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, how the hell did I spend so much money? You know, like, you I'm know, gonna, I'm going to bring up a point where I fundamentally disagree with what you just said. Okay. Okay. And um, and we're we're probably not going to agree with this, and that's fine. But it's like Good. the whole thing where you say this is my money, so yeah. I can do whatever I want. There is that whole saying where it's like your freedom ends where my freedom begins, or something along those lines. Uh -huh. And fundamentally, I believe that a lot of the players that are wailing on mobile games and you know gotcha games and basically pay to win games as mm -hmm. a whole. Yeah, they are making gaming worse for everybody else because there's not a single publisher in the world that does not look at Diablo Immortal with the disgusting levels of monetization that game has. And they don't look at it and they're like, huh, so they made a hundred million dollars, huh? And people barely said a peep, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that sounds good. There's there's not a publisher in the world that right. is not looking at the success of Diablo Immortal. Yeah. And with players just like basically wailing on it, I think that that is actually an extremely negative thing mm -hmm. and you are entitled to do that. Just like I'm entitled to think that that is so terrible. What, what's the fix though? Because if you go and complain about it online, congratulations, you've just funneled them easily another half a million dollars. Like the you cannot, you cannot lie that content creation like, and the bitching about it doesn't promote the game because what it does is it drives yes. more people to go and say, I'll like flappy bird is the ultimate, like, actual numbers like hey don't go play this game it sucks flappy bird yeah, worldwide phenomenon i mean here's the, the way that i've been doing it i would actually say that it's toxic and i recognize that it is but i basically shame people that do that like if you <laughs> yeah if you spend like i don't know a thousand dollars in diablo immortal right, yeah, yeah. i will make fun of you online it's just that simple it's like listen you could have done so much more with those one thousand mm -hmm. dollars and you put them in that this disgusting game that i've played by the way because i can say that it's disgusting because i finished the game yeah i finished the game i mean i finished as much content as there was at the time that i played it and i instantly deleted my character because i just wanted to be able to say i finished this game i played it i understand the systems and they're all bad there's not a single good system in this game and there were people saying behind the monetization there's a good no there isn't it's a fucking terrible game it's even diablo if you 3 go play diablo 3 
No, it's worse right. than Diablo. 3. But I'm just saying, like, just go play good. Diablo three. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, there, there's, there's, a, there's actually an offering. It, as like, it's kind of like it makes me kind of laugh when I thought of that because I was, I was remembering back when they announced like the Xbox One, and then the president then of the Xbox was like, oh yeah, if you don't have internet, like we gotta you know, go <laughs> go play a 360, and everybody's like, we're just gonna play PS4, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> that was a brilliant marketing move. Yeah. It's like, oh, right. you don't like our current product? Buy our old one. It's like what? What? No, I'm just going to go buy that other product right next to it that's not doing this. <laughs> so Chili actually brought up um, a comment that uh, reminded me of the thing that I wanted to tell you earlier, which was, um, what, it's not that. It's the when you were being negative towards Ashes of Creation, oh, yeah. there is uh, a, a portion of people that will look at a content creator being negative about a video game as a bad thing. What they don't understand is the main reason why a content creator can be negative about a video game is because they deeply care about it and they want it to succeed. Yeah. Well, it's that, and that's, Which I, say, I, think it's I also be the say negative because I know people perceive my words as that and all they are is just questions. Like these are the things that I'm looking out for, like on, like on paper, ashes sounds like a MMO players, dream fantasy MMO built by a guy who loves MMOs like on paper. And then the, the, the adage is like, if it's too good to be true, it possibly is. But like, I'm, I'm actively rooting for the game, but I just want to be honest about it and not sit here and just try and overhype something because, because I think that only could disservice the game. People have put labels on ashes that I think that like, even if ashes comes out and it's the first ever, like 9.5 out of 10 MMORPG to be reviewed it's by somebody, gonna... who, but, but to be reviewed by somebody who hates MMOs like IGN, yeah. when they review this MMO will say it's like an MMO guys. We really don't like MMOs because they don't make us money on our, you know, on our big massive platform. Like that's, that's the incentive structure that we can poke fun at because it's true. But like, if it was the first MMO to do that thing, like, if you thought it was going to be a 10 out of 10, you're somewhat slightly disappointed, right? Like immediately you've set a game that comes out and does something that nothing's shadow bringers is a great example. Like, it's like, it came out of the gate. People had low expectations for it. And Yoshi P separated that game from its Metacritic bonus structure. And I think the devs are able to ease up, have a unclinch a little bit and actually deliver out this, like really what I would call a masterpiece of storytelling yeah. within the MMO space. And like it comes down to that, like, yeah, holy crap. But I see people setting these expectations. Meanwhile, I see a lot of red flags and I'm hopeful that's just me being cautious and I just want to be optimistic, but people will, you know, they, oh man, it's, it's the internet, right? Like I, the comments make me laugh because I'm like, okay, like, dude, I hope to goodness that it's everything that you have told me and professed in in this game it sounds like it's like the second coming of christ in terms of the mmorpg and it will save us all hallelujah let's go like you know like that sounds cool however like i'm gonna come back down to earth and i'm just gonna be like okay well there's a science here and it comes down to a business model and so kind of bringing this all back into kind of getting a kind of a focus on blue protocol like I have concerns for Blue Protocol. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. They've announced it as a free-to-play MMO. It's ja oh. it's Japanese though. Like yeah, I don't know if that makes a difference for you, but that means is that people will immediately kind of associate a Korean business model. But it is going to be, or at least Japanese business model. That might change too. I personally have advocated for a buy-to-play because I think that puts at least yeah, everybody. I like buy-to-play. 
I like buy and then well, maybe like a battle pass or something like some kind of uh, optional sub that people can jump into. The, the subscription so, isn't going to work, dude. Like as yeah, much yeah, as no, you no, and no. I love it, like it just doesn't so work anymore. Here's my point about the battle pass, though. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I, it, I'm someone that, that does not like battle passes to begin with. And the main reason is like in order for you to make a battle pass, it has to be a battle pass that does not mess with the way that I play the game. Because I've done I haven't done many battle passes because I don't tend to like them very much. But like one of the battle passes yeah. that I did was in the game called Dauntless, which is kind of like a monster hunter yeah. MMO, as people were talking about. I remember I remember that was pushing people were pushing that out. Like I remember seeing a lot of content creators. I think they're doing yeah, a lot even, of sponsorships as well. But I even I even did a sponsorship for them because I was playing the game. Like I do very few sponsorships, but I was like, mm -hmm. I like this game. I don't mind doing a sponsorship for it. Not sponsored, but, but uh, you can use chair in the if you're watching live, if you want to get a, a really sweet chair. I love these chairs and I'm happy to to team up with them. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but um, the um, what what ended up happening with their battle pass is that the way in which their battle pass work they would tell me something like okay we want you to go kill uh an earth behemoth which mm -hmm. is the, the monster that you go hunt and i was like well i want to go kill a fire one because i want to craft this fire weapon but okay i have to go kill the earth one because the battle pass is only going to be around for a certain amount of time so you want to yeah. do the battle pass to get the rewards and all that so i'd go and i'd kill the earth behemoth then i'm like can i go kill a fire one now and the battle pass would say something like go kill a wind behemoth and i was like it's like yeah. I'm being forced to play the game in a way that I don't want to play it to fulfill the conditions of this battle pass. Yeah. And like that is a problem. That is a serious problem. And that is where I push against battle pass because just having like a progression path or whatever, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. But when the game starts wanting you to do things a certain way, and this is going to be the same thing for Diablo 4, by the way, where they're mm -hmm. going to be telling you something like, oh, go kill 20 of these monsters in act two well what if i want to play in act three today well too bad do right. what we will tell you it's like right so that's the that's problem a, that's a broken that's progression system within a battle yeah. pass though like and and that's where it, gosh like i'm with you because some progression I think halo infinite halo infinite did something like that didn't it where it was halo, like kill people with yeah oh uh, and that's whatever. gross like that's yeah, like that's stop yeah. defining the 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 style of play and actually yeah. reward the style of play and I think essentially the other aspect is that you brought up FOMO. And I think that's bad yeah. for MMOs. I think that's bad because MMO players, we stick around, we're there, but then all of a sudden you add that extra level of pressure and it takes that relaxation model off yeah. of it. Halo's progression is broken, but their FOMO isn't because you keep, yeah. you keep the battle pass. So I can go, I've got season one and season two and they delayed season three and they got problems, you know, like, you know, they, I, three, four, three, they can, they can turn it around, but I think they got a really leadership change that, that whole business there, but they let you keep that battle pass. So if the MMO, like the, especially the MMORPG, if they go with the battle pass model, which new world might, we, we still haven't heard much about what, how they're going to monetize their game. Um, but even with blue protocol or any other MMO, I think that if you make a battle pass that works off of experience, so you're playing however you want to play playing the game like whether you want to just be a crafter be a crafter and you and you're leveling your battle pass and it doesn't expire so that like you come into the game late you want to take a break or whatever you come back and you're like oh man i got more things that i can grind on if yeah. i if i choose to i want to and I, I i still oh i didn't finish that battle pass okay I, I still can go do that i think that actually would be a like something i'd love to see tested i don't know if it's the the ideal new model but i'd love to see a, an mmo test that theory and see if it's financially sustainable and if the players actually have a, a good experience with it. 
So like, th think of it, for instance, in my example, where it's like, oh, I want to go kill this fire behemoth, but I can't because I have to keep killing the behemoths that the battle path tells me. Yeah. If there was no limited time, I'd be like, oh, I'll go kill the fire behemoth, yeah. get my fire weapon, and now I'll go do whatever the battle path says. And right. if I feel like killing something else in between, I'll take a break, kill the other thing, and then go back and do more. Yeah. Like, that is completely different. But another point that I wanted to, um, to bring up as we were talking about Blue Protocol and the potential of it having a battle pass. So this was something that I was thinking about as I was analyzing the business model of Diablo 4, which mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've checked I, oh, in. I'm following out. Diablo 4, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm excited so, for it, but at the I same thought, time, I'm like, guys, like... I thought it was pretty disgusting the way that they're like, oh yeah, so here's the, the box price, and then we're going to have a battle pass, and then it's going to have a premium, uh, a premium portion and all of this. And I'm like, okay, okay, listen. Can we at the very least, as a bare minimum for a buy-to-play game, can we get one year's worth of content? Is that too much? Like for this is what we get with monster with the latest two monster hunters that came out. So world, uh, well, the the latest, all of the latest monster hunters ever since world, we've had two years of free support where they're adding mm -hmm. new content to the game and they don't charge you anything. Yeah. They also add paid DLC that you can buy in the form of cosmetics and stuff like that. Nothing that influences player power, right? But they give you two years of support every single time. So here's the game, and here's like two years worth of free content. They dole it out over the a couple of months every now and then. Can we at least, with these new games that are coming out, if you're going to eventually come out with a battle pass, or if you come out with a battle pass from the get-go, can that the premium track of that battle pass for the first year, at least, at least just for one year. Can we have one year of playing the game without you trying to reach into our wallet? Or is that too much? Like, I think it's unreasonable, the expectations that these companies have, where they're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell cosmetics and I'm gonna sell you a battle pass with a premium version and the extra premium version, which is the case of Diablo, which comes has like two tiers mm -hmm. of battle, a premium battle pass or whatever. And then we're gonna watch you to do this. Cosmetics this and yeah. And it's like, dude, can we get one year's worth of content for, 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 our, for our purchase at least? No, it's too much to ask. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. But yet, and back to your point, and while we disagree, like we in spirit, like you and I are on the same page, I just, I feel like maybe I'm more of the cynic in this regards because it's going to print the money. You know, like it's, oh yeah, we could sit here and like, it's literally like, we're not giving them well, that money, talking, but then literally Diablo like 4. everybody else is. Diablo 4 is going to print money yeah, and yeah, it's going to, yeah, yeah. no, no, it's going to be uh, bundled with Game Pass most likely. And so that Game Pass is going to remove that like entry fee, et cetera. But then they're going to get you on the back end as well. And it's going to print them so much money. And it's the thing where when it comes down to it, I think there is some level of, I don't know, miraculousness to the fact that we still get like real games like Elden Ring is such a great example yes. of that where it's like it is a it is a, a rare example it's not that every game will be an Elden Ring so it does present that and the fact that Elden Ring exists in an age where these mobile games and these you know the gambling games and these like all these little things are just literally printing money and costing the developers much less it, it does to say good at least there's definitely passion devs out there that are like we're going to work on this and also we're able to raise the money to build that development out itself so i'm really thrilled that elden ring has been so successful three, three names that i will give you that currently have my, currently have my full trust three names mm -hmm. yoshi p mm -hmm. miyazaki hidetaka miyazaki who's yeah. the guy behind from software 
and Ryoza Tsujimoto, who's the guy behind Monster Hunter. Right now, these are the only three developers that I can trust to bring actual value. Every other game that I get involved in, most of the times, I assume the value proposition is not going to be there. Mm, interesting. The um, I actually like for me when I when I look at what I think is interesting to see in just the genre is what AGS is doing, what Amazon's doing with uh with both New World with even even with uh why am I drawing a blank? We just talked about it. Um, <laughs> Lost Ark, and Lost uh, Ark. but also like with the potential for Throne of Liberty, then building another MMORPG. Like they are really leaning heavily into a specific genre uh in and of itself and it's it's truly quite interesting because i know there's a lot of fear behind new world like i remember you know back last last summer uh, you know like a new world pay to win all these like things and it's like they come out and they're like you buy the game you can buy some cosmetics well you know we're gonna keep the working business, on the game <laughs> the business model of new world even though i haven't been playing new world uh is a business model that i really like you just you should. buy the game you should you update. play the game yeah and if you want to you know uh, if you want to like buy a cosmetic or whatever, it's whatever. I do feel like they came off the gate instantly with the cosmetics, which again, I kind of feel like in the first year yeah. of service, they should kind of ease up on that a little bit. It's and interesting to- that they have, because they, they talked about like some, like they were like, well, you know, should we do a subscription as they're kind of like, you know, doing some interviews and he's like, and it's like, no, like that's just, that's asking a lot, you know, yeah, like it it's asking a lot for a new MMO. You know, like, you know, and I was like, I wonder if that means that they might, would they introduce a subscription later? And my, my theory is like new world has a subscription. It's called prime gaming. Like it's that system that's connected oh, yeah, to prime. You get, uh, you you get, get stuff from it, you get right? stuff from it. And it's meaning that it's like, I could see, I could see a world in which that you have like one subscription that covers multiple MMORPGs as opposed to like one sub per, per game, because see, I think you see sub fatigue overall. That's one of the things that I brought up when it comes particularly with Blizzard games. This is something that, you know, if nobody in their marketing team has thought of this, and well, maybe not their marketing, maybe they'll financial. I don't know which department will handle something like this. But if nobody has thought of this, they are either behind the times or they're not interested in providing the customers with mm-hmm. value, yeah. which is you, your World of Warcraft subscription should give you things in Hearthstone, which they have done from time to time yeah. as like little promotional. But I'm talking about like on the regular. Like you should regularly get like, I don't know what currency they have in Hearthstone. You should get some of that. It should include like whatever Diablo 4 premium version Mm -hmm. of Battle Pass you have should be included in your World of Warcraft subscription. And other games, like other games could have additional benefits that you could get from having a World of Warcraft subscription because that would add value to that subscription, mm-hmm. which I don't think the value proposition is there right now. They've got it for the WoW and WoW Classic, but you're, I think, a thousand yeah. percent right. Imagine if it was just a sub for Battle.net, you know, like... Yeah, exactly. And and with Microsoft acquisition potential, you know, still on the horizon, like, I could see something like that in that regards where... And that's where we've... I mean, we were asking back in the day, like, it's been a while now, but, like, would we see World of Warcraft subscription enter into Game Pass? because they have the the currency exchange like there's so many like interesting things but it just give you like you know a, a coin uh, who knows like there's a lot of it'll be interesting to see how the industry responds filthy wow token <laughs> yeah which yoshi p said like you know he said he, they, they they were looking into it when they were when i was no. introducing it well no, no no like and he said that if they liked it they didn't implement it and i was like i think he clearly sees the flaw and in, in, in the token you know it's like and it's so funny because force uh i think force gaming t- tweeted this out in fact well actually hey, we have force scheduled for this one-on-one uh at the end of this month so guys be sure to like subscribe and share and, and come back for that that podcast 
but uh, he was talking about like how he was playing like classic for the, the for wrath and he was like yeah, oh i, I need to go tweet. buy whatever and he's like oh i can't and, like how he's been ruined he's been conditioned he's been conditioned we've like, all been conditioned and, yeah and here's the problem like a lot of people have effectively been conditioned to accept this I, I was talking about this on on one of my other podcasts as well where we were talking about so listen you know how wrath of the lich king just came out or you know maybe it was a couple of weeks ago i don't know wrath mm -hmm. of the lich king yeah uh came out and basically there was um when i, I opened up my battle net one day because i was just checking to see if i had dragonflight beta or something i didn't blizzard hates me but, uh, <laughs> so i opened it up and instantly splash screen comes up boom by the heroic version of wrath of the lich king and i'm like isn't this included in the fee? Like, yeah. what, what are we talking? So I go and I check it out. And apparently, and, and this is where it really shows the amount of conditioning that people have been for 49 euro, which converts to $49, because I think it's almost one to one. I think the dollar is even more powerful now. But uh, either way, so it, it's around 50 bones, right? For 50 bones, you can buy two pets and one character boost for $50. Yeah. I'm like, are you insane? Yeah. Well, people have money that they like wait, to throw wait, away. That's not it. That's okay. not it. And then on 70, not for $79, you get those same two pets, the same character boost, 30 days of game time and two months. And I was like, bro, what is this? And then you have like, tons of people just swiping and swiping and swiping. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, but, and then we were talking about like, and then you have a game like an Elden Ring. It's like, how are you even going to remotely compare the amount of value that you can get out of something like an Elden Ring versus two pets and a character boost? Yeah. But people will do it. People will just like, oh, yeah, I want the full Wrath of the Lich King experience, even though there weren't boosts back then yet. But Dude, whatever. I know. And it's, it's such an interesting evolution as a fan of the genre to see how yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's come, it's gone. In fact, there's so many other questions. Well, we need to get you back because I was like, we got through question one on my list of five that I sent you. Cause the next one would be like what mistakes has been made in the genre. So we're <laughs> going to have to like, we, cause I know we, you and I are going to actually do a little collab on new world, yes. um, you know, for your channel. So guys, if you uh, have Rory tagged here, if you're not following him, please follow him. He's going to have a video with me. So uh, I do want to answer one question before we actually wrap up uh, this, this show uh, specifically. And Astro Wood says, why the hell would you trust Amazon? My answer would be is like I don't, but I do actually yeah, it's trust not what Amazon. right. I, I do trust what AGS is doing, the game studios within. There's a segmentation within the company itself, and you can definitely not like things that they do and and whatnot. But like I tell you, the reason why actually I'm I trust what AGS is doing is because I'm paying attention. They say what they say, they mean what they say, they follow through, they deliver. Uh, you know, and I think when as the gamer in me. I'm going to root for good games. I'm going to root for good business models. And if they're willing to go and put themselves out there and, and try and fail and get back up on the horse and not quit, I, I think that's admirable. I think that's admirable. Now, that saying, you don't have to follow along with that theory at all, but I'll keep you guys up to date. Like I'll, I'll, you know, I said when New World was at its lowest point that people are analyzing the game wrong and that it's going to have, uh, it's going to have its moment. And it's still, and that's still to come because the team that's behind it is passionate and they're working and we're already starting to see that. And we haven't even seen what's coming. Like I, I tell you this with all sincerity, I don't think the general gaming public is actually really aware of what Amazon is about to do. And they are, when they, they are all in on gaming. And if that doesn't make the toes, like your feet kind of get a little nervous, 
Like you should understand why Phil Spencer has called them out. That is a that is a terrifying phrase from a company with trillions of dollars that they just have to spend. You know, so it'll be interesting to see what they do next. I honestly think that it could be both good or bad. And the uh, analyst in me, the gamer in me, is like, if they make good games that are good for the that are that are good for the like for gamers, great. If they make bad ones, I'll call that out too. But to sit here and just discount them, I think that people are discounting them at their peril and they're not, they're not paying attention. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, when it comes to Amazon Game Studios, when it comes to the actual development of New World, there's going to be stuff that we're going to be talking about in my video, so I don't want to get too deeply into it. Uh, that I had some problems with some of the decisions that they've made, but it wasn't problems from terms of business model. The big problem that I had is how in Lost Ark, initially at least with their first like big content patch they ended up being even more predatory than mm -hmm. the korean version of lost Ark. yeah it's really aggressive and that to me was like a big loss of of like trust in that company because you know i was just like i'm not interested in lost Ark. i get it it's pay to win it's whatever right whoever right. likes it go play it uh but uh that when they were like oh yeah now you need to get to this thing you need to have this item level gear score level whatever and it was so incredibly aggressive that I was like, oh, so you're basically funneling people into the pay to win. Well, and they, and they did talk about it. And I'm not justifying it because it's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not playing Lost Ark. Like I was like, all right, yeah, I played, yeah. I played the Korean version. I was like, oh, it's fun. And then I just, I keep going back to, to New World and Final Fantasy. Like those tend to be like kind of the two games that I just live in. And at the at point, this point in my life, really don't have room for a third right and so it's like okay yeah the controller support also feels a little bit weak especially like i get better support in new world even though it doesn't yeah. support it natively and i'm like oh, that's weird um i didn't like controller on lost ark at all I thought oh it was, it was too, well there was just a couple of things that it was like it would work you could do like 90 you could do like 98 percent, but you talk to a merchant and you can't you got to use the mouse to close that window like it's like we're so close like just give us the ability to tweak a couple things and this would be good. And then, you know, maybe that will come one day and I'll absolutely, I'll absolutely check it out. Like I like to play these games. I play Genshin for free, play tower fantasy for free. You know, it's like, you know, like I have no problem with like stepping into a free game, knowing it's a free game and not with the, and not spend any money. And then whenever I'm not having fun, say, see ya, you know, it's like, it's not a big problem in that regards, but yeah. the, um, it will be interesting to see. Cause like they did talk about like, Hey, we learned something. Hey, we, we got their feedback and ideally making changes. The question is, is that, like, this is the same thing when I look at Final Fantasy and Square Enix, right? Like, having both the game, the expansions, but also even the, the fan fest themselves, the, uh, like, they would have a mistake, because we're human, we make mistakes, but I've never seen Square, in terms of Final Fantasy fourteen make the same mistake that they made prior. And that's something that I look forward to. Will you make mistakes? Will a company make mistakes? Will a game have a, you know, a feature or a bug or something that just doesn't land the way that it was intended or have a bad impact on the community? Yeah, that that's a possibility, right? How do they respond to it is actually where I usually judge people. And then how do you then make sure that that's not the same thing that happens over and over again? So, oh man, like imagine every, every year, the same problem keeps coming back up. It's like, you're not learning your lesson. You're clearly not listening yeah. or, oh, Hey, is it a new problem that, that rears its head? Because sometimes systems, people, when you, when you start breaking down systems, some systems might not reveal problems because you never actually got to the problem because you were actually getting bottlenecked because of this actually issue. So sometimes when I've seen Square Enix like fix something, it, oh, it turns out there was, an, there was another issue. And that's actually like when you look at their fan fest is a great example. First, they had a massive issue with registration. 
not okay not in you know like that was that was that was a nightmare getting registered getting that whole process done they fixed it next time smooth as butter i was ready for it to be a nightmare but they fixed it but then nightmare was the merch shop because all of a sudden no one's worried no one there's no queue at registration yeah so now there's a queue at the at the merch shop so it's like and then essentially they and then they fixed that the next year allowing you to pre-order all your stuff so then you could just go walk up and pick it up you know so it's like they learned and they adapted and we haven't seen those same kind of problems you rear their head and that's a good thing and ideally we won't see that happen again but it's all about how do you respond to your mistakes because you're going to make them you know like I don't have this idea that, you know, any company is going to release perfection and then maintain that, you know, it's like, okay, like, you know, at 14 is also a classic example. They messed up 1.0 and then they went and said, Hey, okay. They learned, they rebuilt. And they, and that, that gives me a lot of hope in, you know, business uh, division three. Now I saw chat talking about like, they don't have a lot of trust in square Enix, um, but they trust business division three. And I'm with you, you right there. Like they're doing those NFTs. Like Square Enix is like, like Yoshi P is like, we're not doing this. Shut up, yo, uh, CEO. <laughs> Please stop talking. Everybody's like, are they ruining 14? And then the Yoshi P is like, we're That's not. What... We're not gonna do this. And then uh, the, uh, Square Enix is like, hell yeah, we're doing. We're going forward in every way possible. <laughs> That's the same thing that that it is to me. Like whenever I talk about uh, 14, whenever I reference a team, I don't really reference Square Enix. I always see people talk about Square Enix, this Square Enix, that. And it's like, no, when I talk about 14, I talk about creative business unit three. Okay. Yeah. Square Enix does a lot of nasty stuff. Very much like Capcom. I never really generalize and talk about the entirety of Capcom because they've also done some pretty shady stuff on some of their games. I usually talk about the Monster Hunter team, the Dragon's Dogma team, the, the teams that make the games that I care about. Those teams I trust. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Rory, where can people find you and where can they find our co- upcoming collab on, uh, on your place? So uh, I have mostly two channels on YouTube. I'm also on Twitch, but you can just basically look for Ruricon and you'll find me almost anywhere. Uh, our video is going to be on Ruricon Unleashed, Ooh, which is my second uh, oh yeah. most dedicated channel. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. You just look up Ruricon. I'm easy to find. And also, if you're watching, listening to this and wherever you get your podcasts or even here on YouTube, uh, he is tagged. So that way you can just follow the tag easily over to his main channel. And that's usually when people ask me, it's like, just start with Ginger Prime and and you'll find what you want. And you can you can subscribe to the things that you want and you don't have to subscribe to everything I'm doing because I'm I'm insane. Um, but it's a fun kind of insanity that we like, like talking about video games. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just so much, so much fun. Good times. Good times. Anyway, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up this uh, live show. It will redirect you into an upcoming podcast. We got uh, crow, AKA crow Jack. And we talking about, uh, MMO RPGs, final fantasy, new world, and more. And uh, we got some more guests and more podcasts planned for you this month as well. So be sure to tune into live shows and we'll hopefully see you in the MP3, but until then take care. <laughs>